A good haircut can be a game changer. I mean, everybody wants to look their best for those social media pics, right? So get yourself to Sport Clips at Sport Clips Haircuts. They hair do like no one else hair does. See what they did there? Not only is it the home of champion haircuts, but they've also made relaxing and unwinding the name of the game. Level up your haircut with the MVP haircut experience. It's a spa day for your follicles. Check this out. You get a seven pressure point massaging shampoo along with a perfectly steamed hot towel all while sports plays on the TV. Does it get any better than that? No. You can want it all and have it all at Sport Clips. It's a game changer. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Talk is Jericho, baby. Talk is Jericho. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pod of thunder and rock and roll. And today I'm talking to Tony Candelo, the legendary Canadian wrestling promoter that's had so many legit main event performers working for him over the years. Let's go through the list. Chris Jericho, Christian, Edge, Lance Storm, Dr. Luther, Lenny St. Clair, Johnny Smith, Ultimo Dragon, Rick Mortel, Bad News Allen, Rhino, Test, uh, Harv and Gerv Shearer, currently kicking ass down in NXT. An amazing, amazing performance. And also Don Callis, a.k.a. Cyrus, host of Killing the Town, right here on the Jericho Network, which is apropos because Cyrus co-hosts this interview with me because, like I said, he was one of Tony's right-hand guys. He worked and booked and basically ran uh, all of Tony's shows uh, from about the, the mid-90s forward. He's got some great stories about his time on the famous Northern Death Trips. That's right, you're going to hear all about the Northern Death Trips. And wait to hear more of Tony's stories. He's done it all, seen it all, worked with them all. He's got stories about helping Vince McMahon get into the Winnipeg Arena, stealing it from Vern Gagne. His feud with Vern Gagne as a result, while there was so much heat between Vern and Tony, finding Roddy Piper, giving Roddy his name in the business. You also hear how Tony started pro wrestling in the first place. He's owned hair salons. He's been peed on by pigs. You've heard a lot of the great stories. Tony Candelo, you're not going to forget this one. Uh, he's one of the most uh, imitated guys in the wrestling business in Canada. Besides Stu Hart, you're going to hear all about his stories with Stu Hart. You're going to hear uh, how uh, how he basically ran the, uh, the Western Canadian wrestling promotions for years and years and years. Great stories coming up with the legendary Tony Candelo with special guest host Cyrus from Killing the Town. But first, we're going to talk about the brand new Hall of Famer, WWE Hall of Famer, my good friend Diamond Dallas Page. He's being inducted in April. Congrats again to DDP. And I'm not bringing up DDP because of his incredible pro wrestling career. I'm bringing up Dallas because of what he's done since leaving pro wrestling. He's helped so many people. You know what I'm going to say. He's changed people's lives via DDP Yoga. You guys know how much I believe in the DDPY program. I can't say it enough. I wouldn't be the 61-minute man if DDP hadn't helped me overcome my back issues five years ago. It's why I'm at the at the peak of my career right now, even at 46 years old, doing some of the best work I've ever done. Uh, and believe me, I'm not finished with Kevin Owens. I will be back uh, at some point as soon as I get better after the injuries that he gave me. DDPY has helped me do that. It's why the new Fozzie album that I'm recording in the meantime is, is becoming uh, one of the best records we've ever done. 
featuring the best thing in my career, which is all based out of your core. DDPY has helped me with my core. It can help you with your physical fitness, your core, your mental uh, well-being, everything. Listen, and you can get three free months of DDP's amazing app when you buy the DDPY program on DVD. That's right. And you can get all the DDPY DVDs and all related DDPY merch for 25% off right now at ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. And remember, I do DDP Yoga everywhere and anywhere. I just open up the app and get to work. DDP Yoga Now app. I just do everything I can uh, backstage at the venue, in my hotel room, in my house. The app makes it so easy, and it's got a whole new set of workouts in it, so you never get bored. The app's also got tips for healthy eating and recipes to keep you on target. It's everything you need to live a healthier life. I think that's why so many of my friends are on the DDPY program now. Rich Ward, uh, Corey Taylor, Kane, D, uh, D, of course, uh, RVD, McFoley, so many to name. And right now you get 25% off the DDPY DVDs, the DDP Yoga Now app, and all related merch at ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. Plus, if you buy the Max Pack or the Combo Pack, you'll get a second one for 50% off. That's 50% off the 25% off you're already getting. What a huge bargain for you. Just go to ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. This is the biggest sale ever on the DDPY program, so take advantage of it and get on the path to healthier living today. Just go to ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. That's ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. Save 25% on all merch right now. Change your life today. Get in the best shape of your life physically and mentally and do it now bang talk is jericho so you hear like uh, there's very few promoters that people know independent promoters legendary canadian promoter tony candelo is here and everybody from canada knows you at this point in time uh, as being the promoter to work with if you're trying to make your way and get some experience when you're first starting out is that would you say that tony Chris, you know, it's a pleasure being in your show here. I'll tell you, it's been a long time I uh, haven't seen you. You look tremendous. <laughs> Thank and, you. Uh, I'll tell you, I, I watch your matches whenever I switch to the WWE. And, yeah, of course, I have to say you're common sense superstar these days. Do you remember the days when you used to go in those reserves? I'll tell you. <laughs> I remember one time, uh, Chris, uh, one gentleman, he says, you'll never make it. Because you're taking too many bumps. Remember that? Who was it? Oh, you should know. Bulldog Bob Brown, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, today re- wrestling uh, has changed quite a bit from my era, that is, and even in his time. Probably that's why he said it. But anyway. Mm-hmm. It was a different time back then where there wasn't as many bumps in that late 80s, early 90s. But it was transitioning to this, this type of business that we have today. Exactly, and I believe that's why he said that. You'll never make it because you've taken many bumps, yeah. right? No, he said it because he's a jackass. Jackass. <laughs> Got Don Callis here as well. So, or, 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 Sorry. As my guest host. So we're talking about who are the biggest names that came through uh, your territory, Tony? Well, of course, Say the only and only one, Chris Jericho, of course. Thank you. Bigger than Edge, Johnny. Christian, Rhino, Test. The Natch, right here. The yeah, natural, natural, of course. Dallas, what right? about Lance Storm? Lance Storm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. By the way, Lance uh, heard you were going to be on the podcast. Yes. He said that you owe him $450. Is that he, right? He's correct. Is he really? Uh, yes, You're admitting cor- that he owes you, you owe him money? Yes, I do. It was uh, a tour there that everybody got paid, and I told him uh, that uh, I owe you 450 But He says, no problem. And what happened is this. I'll give that answer to Mr. Storm because he put something on his website, which I didn't like very much. So I'm going to tell you why. I put him later on. And, of course, at this time and point, he uh, was booked with Mr. Vince McMahon. 
uh, says, uh, give me an address, so I'll send you your money. Tony says, forget it. What do you mean, forget it? I guess he was making pretty good dough at that time. I said, you sure? Yes, I'm sure. We'll forget it. So I forgot it. But anyway, later on, uh, after Vince McMahon promotion, WWE, or was WWF at that time? Either probably WWE at that time. Yeah, anyway, uh, he, he opened up a school in Calgary. Right. Okay. And, of course, uh, you know, uh, he teaches the guys and charges whatever he charges. And then they got to work somewhere. Right. So, of right. course, he's thinking about Tony Condello. I, I on my winter tour, the debt tours as uh, who, yeah, who gave that name anyway? Debt tour, um, maybe Edge or is it Edge, is that Edge, Edge or thing? Something. Yeah, the, the Northern Death Tour because it was so much fun to do. Well, and it's so cold, and you almost actually did you know the, the reason I guess they call it debt tour because most of the time when we get there, somebody passes away. <laughs> <laughs> so we're canceled out. One, one of the f- fans, not any of the boys themselves, die on these tours. No, no, some yeah. of the, the fans in the yeah. in the uh, in the reserve that is, right. and I guess they named it the Death Tour. Yeah, the Northern Death Tour. Yeah, going back to Mr. Lance Storm, that is. Uh, I says, okay, uh, this year I might be going up north. I don't know uh, if I am or not because the weather has changed and. Uh, when it started getting sunny up there, the winter roads will melt. So I'm not God. I cannot travel over water, right? And But anyway, I said, send me some pictures. And he did. You know, he sent me about four or five pictures. Some poor guy just starring. Uh, soaking wet is about 130 pounds. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and he knows very well I cannot use that type of talent on, my, on, on the show. They're, you know, kind of skinny, right? So I didn't respond to him because I did not know if I was going to go or not because of the weather change. Finally, I get a call and it says, Tony, uh, it's going to be cold next week. I think the winter rose will be ready. But I only had four shows. I did go. But I did not call him and tell him, listen, uh, you boys are not ready to go up there to start with. I didn't. So I gathered some local talent here in Winnipeg and I went. But like I said, I only did four shows. It was nothing spectacular. Because of that, he held that against me. So it goes on the internet, and he says that I owe him $450. Why he said that when he told me to forget it? Because I did not book his students. Ah, that's you know what I'm saying. He, he's, he's, I, he's, a, he's a vindictive little bastard. <laughs> is he a little bastard? <laughs> it's interesting, though, because just because I kind of know both of them very well, and I love Tony. Tony yeah. gave me all my breaks in this business. Um, I've always found Lance to be, how can I put this, exceedingly careful with money. Uh, really, <laughs> you know, very thrifty. So the thought that he would tell you to forget $450. That guy's got the first nickel he ever made. So that surprises me. But I also understand, because you were telling me that him and Jericho, when you used to bring him out here, used to double bill you with duplicate (laughs) receipts for gas and cost you hundreds of dollars that they then put in their pockets. So really, he probably owes you money, and probably Chris does too, actually. So you used to, how much did you you used to pay for, for trans? 40 cents a mile? 40 cents a mile. Is it? Well, uh, I think it was 10 cents a mile, 10 wasn't it? Cents oh, 10 a cents mile. a mile. 10, 10 cents a Very mile. Very generous of you. And I do recall, Miss Chris Jericho, you and Lance Storm, I'm not holding this against you. Probably I would have done the same thing those days. <laughs> hey, come on now. Okay. Me and the natural here were taping television, you know, busy like crazy, especially the natural here. And I was doing the books, and you guys used to give me those receipts for gas. I used to pay you. 
the receipts uh, at that time, uh, how many years ago that was that? Uh, 1990. Yeah, 24, 25 years ago. 25 years ago. No. Be $300, $350, sometime $400. Mm-hmm. Until I come out of a coma a month later, doing my books all over again. Say, my God, this Calgary gas is kind of expensive up there, right? Till I find out with double receipts. <laughs> that's I a can't good, believe that's, you guys would do that. How could you get double receipts? Double receipts. Hold on a second. Do you, do you realize how many miles it is from Winnipeg to Calgary, right? 850 miles, I believe. 850 miles? Yeah. So if it was 10 cents a mile? How much is that? Uh, 850 bucks? How much? I think so. How much would it be? Yeah, eighty-five dollars. It'd be a dollar a mile. Eighty-five dollars one for, way. For, so we, so you are saying that we charge you double the gas because I got double receipts. Well, what were you paying us for the shows? I don't know what was that time. Seventy-five bucks, which 75 is all right. Bucks. Come on, more I than think, I was getting at the time. Huh? Now, why would I rip off Tony Candela, who gave me? What did Lance Storm have some sort of photocopier? Place that he'd mean, stop out you, on the how road? do you even get double receipts? Because I checked the receipt was from the same it was from the same uh, uh, gas station. Oh, so we would say, can you give us two receipts for this? Exactly. Can you do that? Sometime I sometime I ask, give me three receipts, and they do that. Wow. Well, who, so are you, who are you screwing? We could have triple billed you. We could have triple billed you. Well, if I but did anyway. that, then uh, I'm sure there was a reason because of. Really, so know. I understand you're going to send me a check in a mail. Yeah, right? or you, yeah. Or you, I'll send you half the, you the difference. I'll give you two. Well, that's past time. Uh, you know, it was great for you guys to be here that but time. But that's the thing. But that really was it was the place to go. I mean, I worked hard to get booked in Winnipeg with Tony because yeah. you always ran shows. And that was the thing, whether it was the Northern Death Tours, whether it was working at Georgie's Bar. Which I refuse. Remember Georgie's? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Put my head through the roof. Yes. But uh, you guys work hard. No doubt about it. Okay. You guys actually, there's maybe five, six guys that actually made the show itself. Mm-hmm. You and, refused uh, to work Georgie's. I forgot that. Yeah. Because you grew up crazy there. bar too. Yeah. Because you work, you grew up in the area and you didn't want to look like a jabroni. I refused to work in the bar that I used to hang out in. Because I felt really stupid, like leaving to go find my fame and fortune in Calgary, then coming back to Winnipeg and working in the local bar. I remember driving past a sign on the road that said, Wrestling Tonight. And I'm like, who the hell is going to be wrestling at Georgie's? This is stupid. And then I realized it was going to be me. Chris, you know what? I think you booked that show, didn't you? Georgie's, whatever it was, or Joe Yell, I forgot. We packed that place like you never dreamed. Yeah. Yeah, but that was long they after never, him. They never had a, such a crowd for anybody in there. I don't care if it was a band or whatever like we did. But Georgia were good to us. They how no how did it. you get, because the ring was so small, it was eight foot by eight foot ring. Oh, no, it's actually 10 feet. 10 feet by 10. 10, 10, by 10. Feet. Yeah, I, had, I used to have that ring. And uh, Actually, i tell you how I got that ring. Many years ago, this local guy here in Winnipeg, he's the guy, I forgot his name now, that started this bar wrestling. And he's the guy who built this ring and uh, worked for him. He booked me and booked the guys myself. And we did a lot of shows for him. He paid everybody except me. <laughs> you believe it? I said, well, this guy, another Chris Jericho. What? <laughs> but beside the point, at the end of the story, he moved to Montreal. He says, Tony, the money that I owe you, I'll give you this ring. I said, okay, fine. Let's call it even. That's why I got that ring. Do you still use it? No, I don't. I sold it about three years ago. Because it was hard to pin anybody in that ring because no matter where you were, you could grab the rope. So let's talk more about the, about the Northern Tours, the Northern Death Tours, because it has become very much a part of like a Canadian rite of passage, Tony Candelo's Death Tours. How did you start uh, making the, the, um, the uh, connections. connections with well, the... I'll tell you the, why. They started back in 1974 mm-hmm. here in Winnipeg where I met a guy named Phil Fontaine. 
And uh, that time he was just a counselor for a reserve. And he says, Tony, I introduce you to some new territory which they never seen wrestling alive before. And he gave me all these names, the chief and counselors, whatever. But he said, you got to promise me one thing. I said, what is it, Phil? Later on, he became Grand Chief of Canada. That's Phil Fontaine. He said, when you go there and produce the event, I want you to aim at the kids. you got to get gather the kids together and talk about stay in school, stay away from drugs, gang related, no bullying, and so forth. You know what? Since 1974, up to date, I've kept my word. That's how I got to be going to these reservations. But not, on, not knowing at that time, what am I getting into? The road condition was... Might as well uh, to drive in the in the bush and cross lakes and in the ice, whatever, to travel 125 miles. Uh, it took me 18 hours, just crawling and wreck the, the the vehicles and so forth. Today, uh, instead of uh, 18 hours, the same road I'm talking about, going to Oxford House, that is. It will take us four hours. Road conditions are much better this Because there's a new highway, maybe? Or no, they, they, they improved the roads. The same spot, but they improved it. So when you're driving over these frozen lakes, was there any times when like, you almost went through the ice or anything like that? <laughs> you can say that again. Uh, I learned that very fast from the Aboriginal people, and they told me how to drive in these lakes. And you got to watch that ice. Okay, everything is frozen. Eh? And uh, it says when the ice is crystal clear blue... It's safe to drive, no problem whatsoever. If it's grayish looking, still good. But if it's black, don't go there. Hmm. Because I guess when it's black, the water rises to the top and it turns everything into black, right? It goes to black color. It's very dangerous. So I'll learn all that. Actually, I'm an expert today mm -hmm. to, travel, to travel those uh, type of roads. But still, it's very dangerous. You've got to be very careful. If uh, another promoter or whatever uh, would go on this type of roads and do not know uh, what he's doing or where he's going, uh, yeah, I, I believe he'll never come back alive, mm -hmm. that is. And we've seen a lot of, a lot of the times some semis, because semi-trucks go there for, to bring food, fuel, whatever, going through the ice. Talking about going through the ice, here is one. I believe it was Edge with us, Christian and Rhino. So we're crossing, the, the weather changed, and we were crossing a river, which was frozen, but all of a sudden broke loose. You know, the water is running in the river. we got to cross it. We can't go back. we got to cross it. So I look at the situation. It says, guys, do not go over there. Just follow me. If I make it, I got the four by four, that is. If I make it, just follow me. So they're in the ring truck. They're in the ring yeah. truck. So what happens now? Ah. What do you know anything about anything? So they go to that spot. I told them not to go. What happens? Brrm, the truck goes down. And here's Rhino. I never see this before. He's crying. He's crying and yelling. He gets out of the truck. Believe this or not, Chris, he run across that river. <laughs> I'll tell you, like a scared rabbit, that big son of a gun. And when he got on the other side, he's practically half frozen, right? Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. it's ice on the, on the river. Come back and give us a hand. No way he would. No way he would. So I'm not going down there with you guys, right? But finally, we got it out. Somehow, was, somehow we managed to get the truck out, and we continue our tour, right? Very dangerous. But how do you get it out of the, out of the ice if it's halfway down? Well, I had a tow rope, of course, and uh, when, I was, when I crossed the, on the ground, on the ground uh, side, we run the, the uh, tow rope to the truck and start pulling. So mm. we come out. 
when you're talking about earlier, you mentioned like when you're going to these reservations, because uh, they're far away, a lot of them. But you mentioned that when you got there, sometimes people would be would be dead or someone would die and the whole show would get canceled after all these trips. Is yeah, that of correct? course, you can travel, let's say, 15, 20 hours. And all of a sudden, when you get there, I go to the band office and say, Tony, I'm sorry, but somebody passed away, blah, blah, blah. And you know the consequence. We're canceled out. So what are you going to do? Go back to the school where we're going to hold the event and go to sleep. <laughs> what else can you do? Uh, but that's their rules. I respect that. But this year, in the last February, I get to the same place, Oxford House, for some reason. Every time I get there, I guess people figure, well, Tony's coming, let's die. <laughs> it happened to me again. Well, yeah. It happened to me again. For some reason or the other, they changed those rules that let me run the show. Okay. So, so they set a president, I guess, maybe it's in this location only that, that I know of, right? And Every time I go, they welcome me like uh, I was Chris Jericho. <laughs> and when you go up there, you stay in the schools, you sleep on the floor. We got mats, we bring our sleeping bags and so forth, but the, the school itself, remember this, is better than an hotel in a sense because everybody's there in one location. I don't want the guys to run around. And get lost, or get some some self into kind of a problems, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, we have the kitchen, uh, we are a cooking facility, we have showers. It's warm, so it's like a picnic. You just you got a, your sleeping bag and and a mattress there. Uh, we use the uh, the mattress from the ring and you, you lay down. There's no, no big deal about it. When uh, we had uh, Lenny and, and and Don on the show before, they told the story about Jethro Hogg. Yeah. And that's his, a, uh, that's and a his, good one, yeah. And his, tell it from your standpoint. <laughs> Judge Little Hog has a little pig. What do you call What kind of pig was it? Snoots. Snoots. No, but what kind of pig? Potbelly pig, maybe? Potbelly pig. And this right. goddamn pig, Chris, he stunk like a son of a bitch. I says, get this goddamn pig out of here, out of the truck. But I mean, he stunk. Well, if it's a pig, what would he expect? So we are, he's laughing. The natural is laughing here because it was all he's doing. I know that. <laughs> You know the way it is. You travel and you do your 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 work and whatever. At the end, you play it out. So, I'm in one corner of the gym, laying down, snoring away like crazy. So the Natcher and the Storm and the Lenny, they figure, let's fix Tony up. What do they do now? They put a trail of cookies from one corner of the gym to the other, right to my crutch. They let the pig loose. So what this pig is gonna do? He's gonna eat the cookies, right? And I felt something. I think I was dreaming. Or somebody chewing my crotch, believe it or not. I figured for a moment it was a natural himself. But <laughs> You weren't paying me that much. <laughs> it was for free. But anyway, went to sleep. So they figured, it did not, this did not work. Let's try it again. I turned to my side and went to sleep, right? So they put another trail of cookies up to my head. Now, <laughs> all kinds of bloody noise. This time I wake up, I open my eyes, and what do I see? The pig's face, right, facing me about an inch away. I shit my pants, believe me or not, I'll tell you. I got up and started screaming and yelling like a son of a bitch. <laughs> the, high, the guys were giggling, they hid themselves in the gym somewhere, right? So I go now in the washroom to wash my hands or whatever. I look in a bloody mirror, my hair is yellow. And I said, God damn pig, piss on my fucking head. <laughs> <laughs> I grab a hockey stick, a bloody hockey stick. So I'm going to find those fuckers. I'm going to give it to them, right? 
Finally, I see them. I start swinging like crazy. They were running like jackrabbits in the bloody school gym. <laughs> nah, you know, it's, it's, it's a, but you, it's a why, rib. Why was your hair yellow? I don't know what the hell they put in my hair. Was uh, While you were sleeping, we dyed your hair. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, I put some food coloring, whatever the hell they did, right? <laughs> but, you know, you know, I, with the guys, I tried. I go and tell the truth exactly. I tried to be as stiff as a promoter, you know, the way it is. Promoters, you don't associate most of the time with the workers, right? I tried that, but I cannot goddamn do it. <laughs> Too boring. So I'm one of the guys. I'm, you know, I'm, uh, mix myself up with the guys and have fun, whatever, right? I know very well up there, nobody's going to make a million dollars. It's just a workout for the guys who have that type of talent to hit big, right? Like you and uh, Edge, Christian, and so forth. So I'm one of the guys every time I go up there. Right. And that's one thing about Tony I've always said. And like Lenny and I ribbed Tony mercilessly on many trips and no matter what you did to tony he always had a great attitude about it and you could have a lot part of the fun of ribbing him was he would laugh about it afterwards and he you know he usually never ribbed you back he might punch you but uh you know he just got a great nature about him and and yeah. was always just a great guy i mean the ribs were unbelievable you know i couldn't <laughs> think about that i mean the ribs were you had to laugh at the end there's what no way you, can, you, can you remember some other ones that they pulled on you yeah of course it were actually no, it was Garden Hill. Got about 900 people that night. They got lucky. You know, we got 900. Everybody showed up. So what happened? I believe the Llama Fizz got sick. The referee. Lama the referee. Face, yeah. like, we call him Llama. Why do I call him Llama Fizz? I'm going to tell you why, okay? I mean, I love the guy. He's a hell of a good guy and a hell of a good referee. We went to Tundra Bay one day, and I stopped the truck to take a leak on the bloody road. I look across, this, across the highway, and I see a llama farm. And one of the llama got stuck between the fence. I look at this llama, the long face, and I look at Curtis. God damn, that's your cousin. You look like that. That's how he got llama face, right? <laughs> and, and that edge became horse face at horse one point, face. too. Okay. Everything was a face. Everybody has a face. Everybody had a nickname. So poor Curtis, you know, Razlaw, he gets, uh, he gets sick. We have to fly him home. Now, there's no referee. So who's going to referee, right? He's not, he's not, not only I look after the gate and make whatever I had to do. Now I got a referee. So fine, I had no referee clothes, of course. I put on uh, long uh, black uh, sweatpants. Sweatpants. And meanwhile, while well, I'm putting on my boots and something, of course, uh, the gimmick here, uh, the natural himself, Lenny, who else was there? Just you and Lenny. Lance. And Lance. They figure, well, let's, let's fix Tony one more time. So what they do now, they go through my uh, sweatpants and they put uh, the Jap- what is it, Japanese? Heat. Tiger Bomb. Tiger Bomb in my pants. And, of course, in my, my shirt I was going to wear to referee. Me know nothing about it. I slap him on the way we went. Now, when I got inside the bloody ring now to referee, it's common sense. You sweat a little bit and the bloody heat start coming out. And I started scratching, scratching my crotch and so forth. I said, what the hell is going on? I tried to uh, finish off the match, but no bloody way the guys would let me, right? As a matter of fact, I was counting there once, and the thing was Lenny pulls my pants down, show my ass, you understand? And I'll tell you, that shit burns like crazy. <laughs> yeah, especially between your legs, right? Yeah. You know what? Burn for a while, but at the end it was... Makes like great story, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, great story. So, so just one quick one. Uh, so, we we're in a town up north, and uh, there was like literally thirteen people that showed up for this card. We'd driven like twenty hours, and I'm on Tony. I'm like, 
we just drove 20 hours. There's 13 people. He's like, he's like I'm getting them right up. Well, we're never coming back to this place again. And I, I go, really? So I said, so I can kill the town? You never want to come back? That's right. I can kill it. I don't care what you do. So Lance Storm and I went out in front of 13 people. And uh, we worked for 45 minutes. Uh, I wouldn't go home. I kept kicking out. Lance was getting hot. <laughs> and, uh, and then... I had all the boys do a run-in after four. And Tony was the ref, so he was getting pissed off that he was out there. And there's like 13 people there sleeping. The whole locker room did a run-in. I did a Hulk Hogan comeback on everyone in the locker room, dropped the leg. Then I grabbed the ring crew guy who was half cut and had big, thick glasses on. He'd never been in a ring. I pull him up. I shoot him in the ropes. I go, watch the boot, brother. He doesn't even know how to hit the ropes. He trips, falls into my foot, breaks his glasses. I pin him. Finally, after an hour and 10 minutes of this, and the people don't know what to think, Right, Tony is hot at me, like just fear. What the hell was that? I said, you told me I could kill the town, and I think to this day you've probably never gone back there. Never went back there, no. Tell him the Billy Robinson story about uh, Billy Robinson trying to kill you. Because Tony worked in the AWA with Vern. actually wrestled. Yeah, I wrestled there for, I think, 10, 12 years. Yeah. Used to go under Tony Savoldi. Tony Savoldi. I want to tell you how I start wrestling to the AWA. I was 17 years old. Actually, I wrestled amateur in the city, the YMCA, blah, 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 and my weight, 145 pounds, I became Manitoba champion in amateur, in Olympic, right? But anyway, at 17, local guys, they said to me, Tom, why don't you come for a drive, a drive to Minneapolis with us? I said, what for? I watch wrestling. I was a fan. I used to watch it, right? So when I got there, Wally Carbo, you know, rest in peace, he was a hell of a guy, and of course, Vern Gagne. Came up to me and says, hey, uh, kid, do you want to make $75? You know, $75 in the, in the seven was pretty good. I said, do what? Russell. It was a TV show, right? TV taping. So I did not come here to, to wrestle. Came here to watch you guys. Local guys, ah, come on, you condella. Don't be a bloody chicken. I said, what did you call me? I hate somebody those days to call me a chicken, right? Because at the end, I'm making them look like roosters. <laughs> But anyway, they bore me a pair. They bore me a pair of trunks and a pair of boots, and I went in the ring. When I looked at this guy, I was gonna wrestle. Oh my God! I said, "This guy was six foot two, Lars Anderson. I don't know if you remember that name. Larry Ahimi used to go uh, uh, wrestle, or that was his real name. Now I don't know anything about professional wrestling. Not a clue. Not even to take a bump. Really, you know, they clued him in." But they never told me anything. Hmm. So my mind goes, how the hell am I going to beat this guy? I got to go for his legs. It's the only chance I have. If I can put him down, maybe, maybe. There's a chance there. But anyway, this guy, you know, he's, he's a pro. And he knew very well. I didn't know anything about anything. And uh, he let me work a bit. So I'll go for his leg. And sure enough, he takes the bump. When I seen that, I said to myself, God damn it. I'm not that powerful. For him to go down. You know, something wrong here, right? Yeah. But anyway, he let me do a few things, and he scoops me up with a headlock, and he says, Kid, this is not what you think it is. It's not a price fight. Just do exactly what I tell you, and everything will be fine. So I'm thinking, uh-oh, I'm in the States. I better behave exactly what this guy is saying. They might deport me, whatever. We'll finish the, the match. One, two, three, it's all over. Now what happens now, that that taping was showing in Winnipeg which did show, right? And the wrestling commission, a guy named Jim Truvenoff, which is passed away now, 
uh, many years ago. He was a wrestling commissioner for the amateur, and he was a wrestling commissioner for the pros. He sees this tape. Hey, Codelo, you got paid. You lose your amateur statics. Don't do anything for five years. We'll give you amateur statics back. Wow. So Vern Gagne and Wally Carver said, listen, put a little bit of pounds or whatever we might use later on. And I did. Working every day, working out, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, in a year and a half or whatever, from 150 pounds, I reached 195. So I started going every week to Minneapolis, Omaha, Nebraska, all those places, right, for TV shots and whatever. And that's how I got into the wrestling promotion. And how do I became a promoter? I'm going to tell you. At that time, this guy named Al Tomko, which is dead now, he was promoting Vancouver, right? Yeah, Al Tomke was with Sandra Kovac, whatever. He was involved with Jen Kaniski, whatever. He was the front man for the AWA here in the city. But I knew that guy was a bloody crook. He's still mine left and right. Well, you know, can you hear me, Al Tomko? I know you're dead, but I know you're looking over this interview. <laughs> but beside the point, that was his business, not mine. And uh, what was happening, what uh, Wally says, Tony, you'd be interested of buying our promotion just for Winnipeg. I says, yeah, I am. He's the one who asked me, right? So what happened now? I was uh, in the hair business, of course, at that time. I had about six salons in the city. So uh, one of my salons, I was having this conversation over the phone with Wally. And uh, the deal was for me to go to Minneapolis and meet Vern and have the meeting to close this deal. My offer at that time was $100,000, but I want at least for 10 years. They'll show up here for 10 years, right? But anyway, what happens now that I had a customer in, in, in my shop, his name, I'm going to tell you who this guy is, a little weasel, Dave Muir. He used to be one of the works here locally. I hope you're listening. You're stiff. But because you're the guy, you heard my conversation while I was on the phone, you're the guy that told Al Tamko exactly what I was going to do. So what did you do? Well, I'm going to tell you what you guys did, you slobs. You crossed the border, you knew exactly where I was leaving, and you told the border, the United States border, that this guy's coming along with a 1966 Persian convertible. You wow. can't miss it. You cannot miss the car. And he's going to Minneapolis to work. He's got no permit. So when I got there, common sense, they were waiting for me. Where are you going? I'm just going for a holiday. Sure you are. Anyway, they sent me back. Al Tom Kanon, he knew... That I, ne- I didn't have uh, Wally's number or Vern Gagne's number at that point in time. But I used to know Wally's niece. I phoned her up, coming back to uh, Canada, that is, and to Winnipeg. I said, give me your, your uncle's uh, phone number. She did. And I told Wally exactly what happened. And it says, well, it says, try and, try and fly here, whatever, trying to make this meeting. I tried to fly, but they had me all the way across. Stopped. When Al Tomko, and this is the boys telling me this, got to the Minneapolis, Vern Gagne, right in the dress room, gave him a couple slaps. Wow. Yeah. So what in the hell are you trying to do there in Winnipeg? Al Tomko said to Vern Gagne, the reason I told you that because Tony Condello belongs to the Montreal Mafia. And I don't want to be associated with such a good promotion as the AWA. And from that day on, Vern Gagne held this against me. Wow. Yeah, it's from that day on. Every time he came to the city, he sees me, he walks the other way around. Hmm. Okay? And that's how I got into the promotion. Uh, 1972, of course. I says, well, okay. 
I'm not going to work for the AWA anymore. I'm going to open my own promotion, which happened in 1972. That's, of course, when Roddy Roddy Pirate came about and so forth, right? Because uh, you trained Roddy Piper. Yeah, tell, tell us about Roddy a bit. Roddy, you know, I just seen a, I just seen a video in the uh, Facebook about Roddy. I don't know if you've seen it. Anyway, it was shot by WWE before he died, that is. And uh, he's going on uh, on telling his story, how he got to the wrestling world, blah, blah, blah. I wrote back. I, I gave him a little bit of a message. Roddy, rest in peace, whatever. But every word you're saying is a goddamn lie. Did you ever tell the truth? I don't remember once. And he stated that uh, his first match was against Larry Henning. Right. Bullshit. His first match was, everybody knows, uh, June 5th, 1973, right here in Winnipeg, 150 River, the Native Club. It doesn't exist anymore. And he fought who? Nobody else except Tony Condell. And I kicked the f***ing daylights out of that punk. (laughs) I really did. His first match was against you? Yeah, June 5th, 1973. Teen, I think. Wow. Yeah, because he approached me when I opened up the school in 1972, uh, like the natural did. Same thing. Uh, he wants to be a wrestler, right? So I was charging $40 a month those days and for the club fees. I had to pay rent or whatever. So I got $10 out of Roddy Piper and $10 out of the big shot here, natural. Never seen a dime after that. <laughs> but anyway, I knew they had that talent. Uh-huh. So I thought of it for nothing. Anyway, beside the point, good luck to them, right? So Roddy, you know, it was pretty good. He was really good. He had, I knew he had a lot of talent because the way he talked was a yapper, right? Yep, like crazy. The way he got his name, I'm going to tell you how, was in uh, 1973 in February. And he says to me, Tony, I'm going to be late for workouts because I opened up that school November 1st of 1972. So we're now in 1973 in uh, February. I said, what do you mean you're going to be late for workouts? He says, well, I'm taking music lessons. Sure you are, he says. I said, leave the broads alone and come and work out. Comes back to the club. It was the club actually downtown here, not too far away from where uh, we're talking right now. And uh, he comes back quarter to 10. And I I was sitting in the church field like this one. He says, I says to him, did you finish your music lessons? He says, yeah, if you don't believe me. I said, nah, I don't believe you. I'll show you. Of course, in his car, he brings in his goddamn bagpipes. <laughs> I look at it. I said, can you play those things? He loads them up. I'm guy who could play them. Now, my mind is thinking, because I didn't have a name for him to wrestle. You know what I'm saying? And didn't have a, didn't have a stage name for the guy. I said, have you got the skirt that goes along with it? You mean the kilt. <laughs> Whatever you call it, says, I call it a skirt. <laughs> And I hope you're wearing some pandas underneath that, right? <laughs> Most of those guys, they don't. Beside the point, he says, uh, he says, uh, yeah, I got the uniform and all that stuff. Great. I have a name for you for June 5th, which was already scheduled for the event. I'm going to call you Roddy Piper because the bagpipes, I come up with the word Piper. Yeah, you're crazy, he says. I don't want to do that kind of shit. I said, Steph. You idiot, young punk. Have you got anything to lose? What are you going to lose? Ten bucks? You give me? <laughs> Besides the point, I said, try it. You have nothing to lose. I go first in the ring, waiting for him to come out out of the dressing room. People start booing him like crazy. Now I knew from that day on that that gimmick is going to work. Mm-hmm. We toured North Manitoba, Manitoba, and so forth. And I'm going to say one thing about Roddy because he put his thumb down in his book on me. I'm going to tell you why. One day at the school, before he started to wrestle, you know, for June 5th, 1973, 
he want to have a shoot match in front of the the forty five people that I had. Because he was an amateur. Yeah, he's the guy was incredible. I got lucky, but anyway, beside the point. I said, "What for?" I just want to do it. I said, "No, you didn't do it." It was one night that my balls were crossed. I had something in my mind. I said, "Okay, Steph, today is the night. It's kind of that shoot match." Like I said, I got lucky. Guy was really good. I pinned him. Once your shoulder hit the mats, you're finished. Mm-hmm. And he kept that grudge against me from that day on. Oh, yeah, he did. Really? Uh, until he died, believe this or not. But anyway, on the road, traveling in the van, he always traveled with me. He had a habit, smoking marijuana. Not a big deal. The only thing I told him is, smoke all you want, but not in a bloody van, man. If I get stopped by the RCMP, especially those days, they're going to crucify all of us. So one trip, he says, I told him he's smoking away like crazy. I says to him, I says, I told you not to smoke the goddamn one. What are you doing? He said, who the f*** are you? My dad to tell me what to do. Stop the van. We stopped the van. We went outside. And we started shooting each other, right? He gave me a couple of cuts, but I f*** him up. I f*** him up good. <laughs> oh, yeah. I really did. But side the point. So he's, he's 18 and you're a grown man and you're just <laughs> beating on this poor body piper. Shit out of him, man. <laughs> anyway. The boys stopped the fight. We had to continue the trip. Then we met up. Mm-hmm. We met up along the, the road. Eh? We finished our trip, which we do very well. Beside the point, goes back to uh, Winnipeg here in uh, 1974. Now, he was with me for a couple of years, that is. Uh, 76, something like that. He says, Tony, can you uh, help me out? I say, if I can. I says, why not? He says, I do not know what to do here. I'm engaged to be married. And he was engaged to a beautiful-looking woman, Miss Manitoba of that year. I think it was 1976 or 75, one of the two. So I do not know, he says, if I should get married or hit the road and make my millions, whatever, like Chris Jericho. Beside the point, <laughs> I says, kiddo, I cannot answer that question. It's all up to you. So what does he do now? He leaves Winnipeg, and he goes to Portland, Oregon, Portland. From there on, it's history, right? They wrestled right. all over the United yeah, States exactly. back in 1980 or 81. Mm-hmm. That's the last time I seen him. Toronto, with uh, the, the other guy that died there. What's his name in the car crash? Well, it's him that died in the car Adrian crash. Adrian Adonis. Adrian Adonis. But, yep. he, but Roddy came back here, I remember, in 92. Yes, I did. Yeah. And he was fighting Flair at the Winnipeg Arena. Yes, yes. And Tony and I were backstage, yes. and Tony said to Lanza, well, I'll say hi to Roddy. And uh, Roddy basically showed up at the building in a limo that they pulled into the building and went right from the ring with a towel on his head back into the limo. And what we were told was Roddy doesn't want to see anyone from Winnipeg. Exactly. So anyway. So there was real heat there because why wouldn't you see Tony? Exactly. Anyway, what happened was, I forgot about this one. In 1992, you said it was? Mm-hmm. Okay. He's wrestling Flair, Ric Flair, hell of a match. At the Winnipeg Arena before they tore it down. Not the MTS building, at the Winnipeg yeah, Arena. Barn, yeah. I don't want to go inside the dressing room like I usually do because I know they're tied up and you want to bother them. So, Black Jack Lanza was there, a good friend of mine. Says, Jack, I says, just say hello to Roddy. Sure will. So, Black Jack Lanza goes inside the dressing room and says, Roddy, Tony Cornell says hello to you. Or he wants to see you, one of the two. Black Jack Lanza comes out out of the dressing room and says, Tony, I'm sorry. I apologize for him, he says. I never forget those words. He didn't want to see anybody or talk to anybody in Winnipeg. Okay, I says, that's his opinion. Could you give him a message back? Sure, sure he can. Tell him to go f*** himself. <laughs> that's what he did, okay? <laughs> and actually, that's the last time I seen him prior to 1981 with uh, Adrian Donas in Toronto. 
and I had seen Roddy when I was in TNA because he was there, and they were having me do an angle with him, and I desperately wanted to do some a match with him, and they wouldn't let me. But there, I was doing the authority figure thing, and they were going to have me fire Roddy. So I went to talk to him and said, you know, sir, you know, I mean, I'm this is what I'm thinking of saying. Is this okay? You know, the thing that you would do. And he was really cool. And, and I just said, you know, I'm from Winnipeg. And I said, I was trained by Tony Candelo. And he was just all smiles. Like, oh, yeah, man, Tony, Tony, Winnipeg, all cool. Like, but kind of like didn't want to talk about yeah. it. And uh, I remember when I, my last gig in TNA, I had a match. And Mike Tenay on the commentary, because I told him to, he said like, Don was trained in the same ring as Roddy Piper by Tony Candelo, et cetera, et cetera. Because it's kind of like that interesting, really cool bit of history that was only ever acknowledged kind of on the one side. And Mm -hmm. it's so weird to me that all those years there was heat. But anyway, that's the only two things. Maybe you owed him $450 too, like you did Lance, who, by the way, just texted me (laughs) saying, tell Tony I want my $500, so they must be interested. I've got it right here. Interest. (laughs) Interest. All right, there are some seriously talented luchadors in AEW, and not all of them speak English, which can make putting together matches a little challenging sometimes. That's why I signed up for Rosetta Stone. I'm learning Spanish, amigos. Amigas, see? Already learning. Haha, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. You don't even have to learn Spanish, though, because Rosetta Stone has 25 languages, including French, German, Korean, Arabic, and Polish, and Japanese. That's what I'm going to do next. I spent a lot of time in Japan, and I still work with a lot of Japanese wrestlers at AEW like Takeshita. So having a better handle on the language will definitely show in the ring. Communication is key. And learning Spanish on Rosetta Stone has been so fun and easy. They've got this true accent feature that gives you feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. Sort of like having a personal trainer for your accent. I'm using the app, but you can also do the lessons on desktop or laptop. I also like that I can download the lessons and do them offline, which is perfect for a plane. I can sit there on a flight and work on my Espanol. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Talk is Jericho listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash Jericho. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash Jericho today. That's rosettastone.com slash Jericho. Do it today. Talk is Jericho. Let me ask you this, Tony. There's something you said earlier from a promoter's standpoint. When you talked about when the night natural killed the town, there's 14 people there. How is it as a promoter when you go to a show and get 30, 40, 50 people? Why does that happen at a show? Well, it's not because of slack of advertising. By all means, I used to uh, uh, put all kinds of posters, radio, uh, in those reserves. Uh, Maybe... One solution that I can actually come up to, they had no money to come watch the event. That's exactly what happened to those reserves. If you can hit every reserve when they get paid, you sell out. Tony was the best promoter I ever worked for at selling a town. One of the things I think that was if Tony had a downside as a promoter, and I say this to him many times, it's that he tried to do too much stuff. Like Tony was had a work ethic that was unbelievable. So if you needed someone to go sell a town, close deals for advertising, work the building, Tony was the best. But then that left very little time for Tony to do the booking of the talents and everything else. So what one of the reasons he and I worked great together, I think, was Tony just said, Hey, book your friends, call Jericho, call Lance. You handle that. You put on the card. I don't need to be the booker. 
And so I did that for him, gained valuable experience, and Tony focused on the thing he was awesome at. Tony could go to a town for a week, and there'd be such a buzz by the time you got there because he'd pre-sold it. What were some of your biggest towns, Tony, promotionally? Ryden was one of them. I used to get a thousand people, fifteen hundred, seven hundred, six hundred, whatever, right? And some of the reserves were usually big, right? And uh, all over Manitoba, we're doing really well. Oh, Dauphin, Manitoba, Dauphin, Dauphin, Manitoba. I remember, I do recall, two thousand thirteen goddamn people. Wow. Yeah, I'm gonna tell you what happened to Dauphin. Me and Fred Pelican, you remember him? Puppy Dog Pelican. Puppy Dog Pelican. You know who gave him that name? Puppy Dog, eh? Vernon Gagne to kill the name Mad Dog because I went to Dauphin, Manitoba to book this town, and we're sitting there in a in a pub there because Doggy, you know, he likes his beer, whatever. I'm not much of a drinker, but beside the point, I look on television. Who do I see there? A tip from Montreal, which was Mad Dog Vachon, Butcher Vachon, whatever. I look at Freddie. God damn it, this guy looks like Mad Dog Vashon, right? And uh, my mind is working, but he doesn't know anything about it, right? Uh, about the gimmick that I have in mind. I figure if I cut him bald, because I was in the hair business anyway, and make him grow a beard, he might look like Mad Dog. He might look like. So anyway, exactly what I was going to do, but he doesn't know anything about it. I do remember that day like it was yesterday. Uh... Freddie was a best man of a wedding. It was a Saturday morning. He comes to one of my shops, and I give him a little haircut. And I say to myself, here's my chance to cut him bald. I slipped with the... With the uh, uh, <laughs> electric shaver? <laughs> electric shaver. And he looked like a skunk because I took a big piece <laughs> over his back, right? I said, Doug, I said, you know, I'm sorry, man. I apologize, but I cannot fix that. I got to shave the rest. No bloody way, sir. I got to wait this afternoon. Well, it's too late, I says. Anyway, I cut him bald. He was the talk of the night. Because all of a sudden, he goes to, to the wedding as the best man. All of a sudden, he's bald, right? right. But anyway, and then I told him to grow a beard, which he did. And I hit Dauphin five times in my life. Five times. And I'll tell you why I never went back up to, up to date. I might go pretty soon, but up to date, I've never been back except those five times. And uh, But he wrestled me five times. Kicked the hell out of me four times, and I beat him once, the last one, right? But anyway, I called him Mad Dog. Not Mad Dog Vashon, just Mad Dog. Put his picture there. I, I'll tell you, they did look like. I did 2013, 1900, 1800, 1700, pick any figure you want. Until now, I'm Mr. Altumko. How many feet he's down there? Six feet, seven feet, I do not know. Stooge off. <laughs> no, no, he's stooging me off. And Vernon Guy, how many feet is he down? Another six, seven feet. Whatever. I'm joking around. You know, RIP. No, RIP. Yeah. Rest, rest in peace. Well, they need peace because they're very pretty bad boys. But beside the point, what does El Tonko now talks to Vern? Hey, this kid here, they're talking about me, is getting too strong. Let's stop him. So what does Vern Gagne does? He brings his big boy. Because he had the power of television those days, eh? Andre the Giant, pick any name. He was in Dauphin, Manitoba. Wow. I followed. I want to see exactly what's happening. I go to Dauphin, Manitoba. I pay my 10 bucks to get in. That's what he charged, 10 bucks. Over 6,000 people show up. It's common sense, right? I'm watching the matches. And all of a sudden... From the first match on, that's all I heard is boo, bullshit, whatever they said, those fans. Intentionally, he killed that town. How uh, you kill a town? Simple. Especially those days. Take a guy in a headlock, keep him there for five minutes. No moves. 
all of a sudden, a, he killed the town completely. Hmm. So anyway, I did not believe that the town is killed yet. I go back about seven, eight months later with a strong card, the, the mighty midgets. Uh, Sky Low, uh, no, no, yeah, Sky, Sky Low, Lolo. Sky Lolo, Lord Lillibrook, uh, whatever I had, plus the girls, plus the uh, championship match from... On an average, 1,800 people, all of a sudden, I draw 300. Now I know the, the, the town is dead. And I made a promise to myself. If I'm going to still be alive, I'm going to get you, I'm going to get you good. Talking about Vergani and Altamco, right? Sure enough, 1980, I get a call from Vince, WWF. I don't know who Vince McMahon was. I knew the name, WWF. Now, he knew Vince McMahon because he was told by... All the workers that he had, which they did belong to the AWA ones. Now he's got them all. The boys knew very well I got a beef against Vern, right? But I swore that time I'm going to get him, I'm going to get him good. It happened again, 1980, 1981, I believe. I got a call from Vince, I was saying. He wants to book the arena for him. And of course, Mr. McMahon, if you listen to this, I'll repeat your own words. Uh, no offense. But I know exactly what you told me, and you know exactly what you told me. We're still friends today, of course, and whatever. You offer me the whole world if I can get you the Winnipeg Arena. Because that was a Vern building. Yeah, Vern building had a clause in there. Three days before and three days after, nobody can promote professional wrestling except Vern Gagne himself and El Tomko together, whatever. And uh, he was coming every three weeks, so he had the whole thing monopolized for 25 years. I approached the Winnipeg Arena in 1978, I believe, 1979, to promote wrestling. In that time, I booked, I had a booked Joe Lewis, the, the boxer, which he worked uh, at Caesar Palace, and uh, George Chavallo, yeah. okay? And the media says, Tony, if you bring Joe Lewis here into Winnipeg, last time it was in Winnipeg, it was 1951. You don't need no advertising whatsoever. We'll be there with the cameras, whatever we do, we'll pack the place up. And I was refused by the, 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 the Winnipeg Enterprise because of this clause. Who owns that, the arena? Yeah, yeah. They had the, this clause with Vern. So I didn't think nothing about it and forgot all about it until Vern pulled a stunt on me on Dauphin, Manitoba, right? So anyway, then of course he was going to Brandon. He started hitting Brandon, uh, Vern Gagne, and I mean, big crowds, but just to kill me. But beside the point, talking about uh, Vince McMahon, he promised the whole world if I can get him. And he says, at the end, I say, sir, don't want me telling you this, but I'm not a mark in this goddamn business. Probably, I says, I was wrestling before you, before your time. You want me to do you a favor? It's no problem. Because you know the heat I have against Vern. You don't have to offer me a million dollars if I can get you the Winnipeg Arena because it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. It's no big deal. I says, I'll get you the Winnipeg Arena. That's a promise. And I did. How? I'm going to tell you how. <laughs> All my clients from the city, there were city councilors, the mayor, whatever, lawyers, whatever. All got their hair cut by Tony. Yeah, I'll give them a haircut. They got friends of mine. I said, listen, how can I do this? They clued me in what to do and what not to do. I call a meeting which I did with the Winnipeg Enterprise. So we met at the Winnipeg Arena, and who we got, they're all my clients. And I told them, gentlemen, I says, look, I'm not a lawyer, you are. I'm not a politician, you are. And for you answer you're gonna give me for the question I'm gonna ask you, they're waiting for it. Go ahead, Thomas, the table is yours. It's okay. I says, as green as I am, I says, I'm gonna ask one question. 
is the Winnipeg Arena running like a business, a private organization, or whatever? Business. Okay? Who owns this property? City. Oh, it's owned by the city. Okay, thank you. I says, uh, gentlemen, I says, it's not your duty. No, I says, I says to them, is the Winnipeg Arena booked from January 1st to December 31st every night? I said, no. Okay. I believe as a taxpayer, and you guys running this business, shouldn't you think to rent the arena every night if it's possible during the year so we can save some money on, tax, on taxes because the revenue is coming in? Yeah, good idea. I do understand, I said, that uh, Altamco or, I says, Vern Gagne has a contract with the city, which is you guys, that 30 days before and 30 days after, uh, nobody can promote wrestling except themselves. That's been going for 25 or 30 years. I believe in my books, my opinion, and I know I'm goddamn right, if this arena belongs to the city, what rights you gentlemen have as the mayor, deputy mayor, city council to monopolize city property, which is part of mine? That's how I pay my taxes once in a while. It's all part of it. You have no rights to do that. And what I'm asking you, I says, is this. I want to promote wrestling here in the Winnipeg Arena. Or it's going to be WWF. Or it's going to be Tonogun. It doesn't matter. I believe that your duty is as a Canadian citizen that says you should let anybody with money, whatever the, the, the cost is going to be, to promote whatever the hell they want. Plus, you have, a, you have a monopoly on the bloody circus that comes here once a year. Right. What about if I got a circus? And I got money to blow out of my ass. Why can't I go the day before or whatever it might be on city property? Yes, if, if it's uh, private, you can do anything you want. And that's how I got it. Uh, but so before, they, before I did all this, I don't want to do it because I understand business, right? I phoned Minneapolis over 10, 15 times. And the goddamn Vern Gagne, I'll tell you, he never answered my calls. And I heard his voice behind the background. The last guy that talked to me in Minneapolis was uh, Nick Buckwinkle. Nick, Tony here. I know Vern is there. Tell him to come to the phone. I want to ask him a couple of questions. He didn't. Well, tell him this. Uh, tomorrow morning, I have a meeting with the Winnipeg Enterprise. If he doesn't call me by tomorrow before 10 o'clock, I'll break his f-ing contract that he has. He didn't believe it. The contract was broken in 24 hours. <laughs> now anybody can promote. And that's how Vince McMahon got into the Winnipeg Arena. What did, did you call Vince and tell him that you had it? Yeah, I fucking had it. It's all yours. What did you say? Well, thank you very much. Where's <laughs> my him up. Where's my fucking million? You're still waiting. <laughs> still waiting. So w- one quick one. That's a great story. T- Tony used to cut really interesting deals with people in the towns. So we're working this town. Uh, it was uh, it was uh, Fort Alexander. It's a First Nation uh, outside of Winnipeg. And there was a guy. They had a beautiful arena. And there was a guy there named Carmine who was a big, fat Italian guy who had the pizza place in the arena. So in exchange for a sponsorship, okay, he not only got the sponsorship, but Tony comes to me and Martell is there and Edge and like the whole, we had Gamma and Jerry, the whole crew. And Tony goes, look, uh, you know, this uh, fat fucker uh, Carmine, uh, you know, uh, he gave us a sponsorship, but uh, we got to put him over. And I go, what do you mean put him over? Well, uh, he's going to do a gimmick where he goes in front of the crowd and says, if I cannot beat... uh, the next wrestler that comes out of the back, it's free pizza for the whole First Nation for the next week. <laughs> 
So I'm like, yeah, whatever. Like, I'll I'll find one of the guys who will do this, yeah. right? Joe Legend, I believe. It was going to be Joe Legend, but we're in the dressing room now, and this Carmine, who is kind of an idiot, like walks in to this dressing room, and he starts speaking off to the boys, and he comes up to Rick Martell, and he goes, oh, that was a great gimmick you did in WWF where you were kind of a kind of a Fruit Loop, you know? He's like, like kind of making fun of Rick, and I'm like, this bothers me because Rick's a veteran. So I changed the card. I, I said, so So he comes in, he goes, so he goes, how are we going to make this fake stuff all work, he says to me. Oh. I said, oh, don't worry. I said, see that guy there? I said, he's, yeah. I said, well, that's Gamma Singh. I said, he's going to come out, and uh, he'll challenge you. And I said, you know, when the time is right, you'll pin him. Okay, great. So he goes off. Tony says, well, why aren't you doing it with Joe Legend? I said, just watch. So I had Gamma go out and fireball him. Like so Gamma used throw, to throw fire. Throw fire right? in his yeah. face, yeah. So, so the guy gets out on the stick, and he says, uh, if I can't beat Gamma, sing free pizza for a week for everyone. So Gamma comes out, <laughs> fireballs him. We didn't clue him in. Grabs his face. Gamma hooks him, pins him one, two, three, and the guy had to give free pizza for a week. And he was, you know, so Tony, of course, just went, well, I don't know what happened. The guy's crazy, right? So, But those were the sorts of deals that would get you cut. Got, you got. Did you ever have any type of uh, conversation with, with Stu and Stampede Wrestling, <laughs> considering that you know you had your own territory in Winnipeg, he's got his own territory in Alberta. Did you ever try and do anything together with him? Stuart, what a character, I'll tell you. Actually, I stayed at his house for one week. Okay? And the, all this week, I've never seen his wife, Helen, once. Mm-hmm. She's always upstairs. Now, I remember Stu saying to her, Helen, uh, if bitch, come down. Uh, we have a guest from Winnipeg here. Uh, you know, the way we used to talk. Eh? But I never seen her once. And uh, what happened all this week that I was there, he treated me like a king, really, when I was at his house. We're very respectable. He's making breakfast for the boys. He had all the guys there. and uh, Owen Hart, uh, Brad Hart, uh, all the guys from Stampede, right? Sitting in the big banquet tables. He had the long banquet table with a red cloth. But I was looking at this red cloth and I seen spots in this goddamn red cloth. Not thinking what it was, but I found out what it was. I'm going to tell you exactly what it was. But anyway, he's cooking. He had two commercial stoves in his kitchen. And uh, Stu is cooking eggs and whatever. But Stu had a lot of cats. One of his cats now goes and jumps on top of one of the stoves and he took a big bloody dump. Big shit. What Stu does, takes his uh, little shovel there, what do you call spatula. it? Spatula. The bloody spatula. Yeah, little bastard. Uh, he smacks the cat over the f***ing head. The cow, of course, the cat jumps down. Now with the spatula, what does he do? He picks up the shit from the stove, from the from the stove, throws it in the garbage, and then wipes the spatula over his fucking pants and went back and flipping the fucking eggs. <laughs> that I, when I seen this... I said, holy Christ. <laughs> and he says to me, Tony, uh, I like your eggs. I said, Stu, you know what? Actually, I'm no hungry. I usually don't eat in the f- morning. <laughs> <laughs> but everybody else ate it. They don't know anything about it. That was Stu, right? But anyway, I closed the deal with the gentleman to bring a couple of matches to Winnipeg and so forth. And uh, uh, we did. We went partner, 50 50. And to tell the truth, he stiffed me for 4500 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> Business went bad, but it, it, no big deal there. So anyway, uh, I brought him to uh, Winnipeg and uh, Brandon, I believe, 
Uh, I dealt with him twice. Like okay, I said, so you twice. actually promoted a stand. Yes, yes. I, I, I started writing his tapes in that time, mm-hmm. and uh, so forth, and, and that was the end of that. Really, it's amazing. We we were talking before in about '95, running TVs uh, in, in, through WFWA through your company. How many world class performers there were on those TV tapings in about '95 or so? It's it's almost a shame that no one got to see that because it's probably the best lineup for an independent promotion maybe ever between Natural and Jericho and Edge and Christian and Lance Storm and Lenny and you had Ultimo Dragon was there and you had like Johnny Smith Johnny Smith and Gamma and Bad News and Martel it's like legit main event guys all working for you you know what talking about that Jericho uh, you know what I have in my possession I got over three hundred hours of those days. 300 hours of TV productions, which I blew a lot of money in wrestling. And all those names you just mentioned, they are there plus. So come on, anybody of you guys listen over there, give me a call. Hey, buy them, rent them, whatever you want to do, I have them. But you were, like, you were running fairly regularly. At that time, uh, Mr. Chris Jericho, I gotta call him Mr. Chris Jericho you because to, yeah. you know he's got a yeah. he's a superstar this day and he's got all kinds of millions of dollars. You know yeah. what I mean? And he's got a lot of power. Beside the point, I'm just joking. Beside the beside Mr. the point, hey, yes, sir. <laughs> uh, what were we talking about? We're talking about uh, uh, Tony. Tony had uh, an hour of prime television on the best local station every week. At one time, he was on two of the top three stations every week. So there was a lot of TV that we had to produce that had to get on the air. And then when we would run a house show loop, like if it was Martel coming in, we would tape the matches and then cut cut them into right, the right. stuff. Steady, steady work is what I was saying. I used yeah. to do, I used to, we're talking about that, I just remember now, I'm losing my memory in my old age here. Besides the point is that uh, I used to run maybe 180, 175 matches per year. Wow. Then. Today, I would say 15 to 20. But they used to practically every week, eh? the match. Yeah, because it was like back to like 94 to 90, before I went to Vince, it was great because I would go like go to South Africa for six weeks. I'd be home for a month before I'd have another booking, say, in Europe or something. But during that month, Tony would have six shots. Sure, same for me. So I'd go and like work Martel around the loop and, and, you know, and then have a couple weeks off and then go off again. So it was a really cool schedule. And the great thing was, like, from the minute that I started with Tony, Tony put me in front of a TV camera. So by the time I got anywhere, I knew how to cut a promo. I knew how to work the hard camera, whatever. Yeah. And it was just great experience because not everywhere had TV. Mm-hmm. We <laughs> just remembered we did a, a loop, a house show loop up in, you know, I think it was like Thompson and all these places. And it was Nashville versus Chris Jericho main event. Uh, and Tony was the timekeeper. And we were doing 50-minute uh, Broadways. So we would do, uh, you know, five minutes, and Tony would say, five minutes gone, and then go out for a smoke. And then we'd continue working for another five, ten minutes, come back in and go, five minutes gone. <laughs> we'd be like, what are you talking about? It's been 20 minutes. We pulled 30 every night. It was supposed to be a 15, which sounds like athletically it wasn't an issue. We're did in I our do, 20s. Did I actually do that? You know why? If I said that, I don't know, I know the reason for it. Why? I didn't have a watch. <laughs> I was just guessing. The, the hard part about that was you had it all planned for 15 sure, minutes, like three, two, one, and then anticlimactic. Right. And he would just yeah. be out doing whatever. Well, the it was. thing is, the crowd really loved it, and so I figured, ah, wrestle Let's talk 10 about minutes. some of the uh, the uh, gimmicks that you had there from from our time frame. I always think of the tulip. 
uh, as being an actual guy who wrestled, and his name was the Tulip, uh, who would wear a pink bodysuit with like tulip weeds on it. Was this when you? Was this your gimmick? That was my invention. And I prove what I'm saying. I got. I proved to myself later on in life. I says, uh, if I make a, a a pink suit with flowers, and let him go in a crowd and spray people with perfume, whatever, you know what I mean. He might go over. So I call him the tulip. <laughs> and uh, when he used to come out of the, the dressing room, we had that song. Tiptoe through the tulips. Tiptoe to the tulips. And you know what? He loved it. So look, as we as we wind this down, you mentioned you still do 15 or 20 shows a year. Yes. yes. Will you continue to do this? You know what, Chris? What am I going to do? I'm retired. As you know, I'm close to 75 now. And I might say, when you say 75, hey, sounds old. But I will say one thing. A lot of guys that I knew in my life, I said I knew, much younger than I am. They're not around us. They're all dead. So I got to thank the Lord upstairs. They still keeps me alive. Why keeps me alive? To promote goddamn wrestling, goddammit. And I'm still doing it. I cannot retire or stay home and watch television. <laughs> I, I, I can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> That's one thing with Tony I've always said is that wrestling has kept Tony young. When Tony talks about wrestling, he's around the boys. He's got a sparkle in his eye. And uh, I really believe that. I think if Tony stopped promoting wrestling, he'd probably die. Yeah, he'd mm. croak. So you still every year get the get whatever young prospects you can find, get in the van and drive across the. But today, you know, roads. you're talking about young, 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 young guys. Everybody that I booked, they're good fucking workers, man, because mm -hmm. they've been around. You know, in other words, right? I well, get uh, guys are coming to you. Yeah, yeah. They're, I mean, they're good workers. They have a lot of experience these days, right? I got uh, guys from. Toronto, uh, Vancouver, uh, Saskatchewan. And one of the things that the guys need to understand if they are thinking of coming to working for Tony is that it's not just about the ring work, which is at a premium right now. Um, Tony prepared me from an early stage to, to make it big because from the word go, what Tony told all of us, some listened, some didn't, was you got to be a professional about how you handle your business. And he Even, did. Hey, he, I want to say one thing about uh, Don here. Did man all the way through? I listened to Tony. Yeah. So Tony would say, like, doesn't matter if it's a hundred people. If your gimmick is you're the natural and you wear a suit and all that, you gotta you gotta do that, and you gotta be professional in your business when you're dealing with promoters. And if you think about your career in a business fashion, that's how one of the ways you get ahead, and that's the sort of thing that guys can learn from Tony that they won't learn from other independent promoters because guess what if you want to get your car fixed you're not going to go talk to a mechanic or a guy who's never been under the hood of a car talk to someone who's been there done that and learn from that and that's what people can get if they work with Tony well and that's one thing too that I always appreciated is that you gave us a forum to be able to work because like I said when I first started I, I wanted to be, actually I almost my dad called you in about 1989 about training because like Don and I were talking earlier where do you go to train back in the late 80s early 90s how do you find out where to go and I always wanted to go to Calgary because it just had a little bit of a of a, of a, of a magical thing but we actually did call to see well how do you I'll tell let me see if I can try and find Tony Candelo and find out if I can you know figure out a way to, to, to train but to actually get to Winnipeg because it took me about a year to get booked with you and then it was another place to go and more experiences and meeting guys like Don and meeting guys like Lenny that were that were just as good as I was or, not, or better to learn. So I always think good thoughts about Tony and all the, the shows that we did because, like you said, even if there was only like Grand Marais 
Grand Beach. There's, I remember one time there was probably 30 people, and I got 40 bucks. But it was an experience to learn how to get better. You and Lance against me and the Bulldog. That's right, yeah. Yeah, Bulldog. I think those spots would best be done with the natural. <laughs> that was the Bulldog, all right. Bulldog, man, yeah, absolutely. But, Tony, it's been great talking to you, man. Like time time over what? Well, we're done. We've been talking for... Are you for serious? S- My God, I could stay here for another three hours. i got more stories well, to do tell. Well, do you have another story? Give us another story. Give us, you got one more that's on that you've been wanting to tell? Do you think of it? Well, there's another promotion that uh, I'd like to mention. NWA, National Wrestling Alliance. What happened is I uh, flew to uh, Las Vegas. They used to have the convention there. Yeah, for the and I met a guy named Jim Crockett promotion there with uh, Ric Flair, Lex was, Lewis. Was this after you were dealing with Bill Watts? Because you were bringing the UWF tape in yeah, here for a while. That's right. He's right. He's right. I went to see this guy named Cowboy Bill Watts way down in... North Oklahoma. Oklahoma, right? Gene Oakland was there at that time and blah, blah, blah. So I look at this guy, tapes, incredible taping, incredible. So I close the deal with the guy. I said, look, give me those bloody tapes. I'll run into Winnipeg and I'll bring you in. No problem. Was incredible taping. And that's, I believe, the way Vince is taping today or even yesterday he copped from this guy yeah the way bill watts yeah he so, did eh? so he was so, uh, he, so he was bringing in bill watts's tape watts sold to crockett and then tony closed deal with crockett yeah so anyway like i said he sold the sold the company to a guy named crockett and i used to deal there uh i went to vegas i closed the deal with them and i paid uh, thirty-five thousand dollars for two events Winnipeg Arena and Brandon, plus airfare, which was $8,000, which they never got paid for $8,000. I'm going to tell you why. But anyway, <laughs> I used to deal with a guy after that. I, I did run the NWA tapes for about a year before, a year and a half or before I brought him over. And he gave me a hell of a card for real. Everybody was there. Rick right? Flair, Flair all those guys. Whatever. I was there. Yeah. Were you there? Yeah. You working that card? I watched it. I oh really? Fan. I wrote. I was. Oh. I, I called the Winnipeg Free Press and asked if I could cover it, hoping that they would give me a free ticket for the show. But they oh, didn't. But they said I could cover it, so I was there. Sure, called me that I would give a free <laughs> ticket. But anyway, I uh, closed a deal with them and uh, ran the shows, which didn't lose money. I made six thousand dollars actually hmm. profit, which I got all my money back plus. But I used to deal with a guy named Jim Burnett. Jim Burnett. Is, Jim Burnett, which is dead now, passed away. So I'm in Brandon, and uh, I get a call from Cowboy Bill Watts. Tony says, you better watch it. They might stiff you somewhere or the other because they just sold the company to Atlanta. To Turner. To Turner, you're right. So before this, before this was Ric Flair and J.J. Dillon. Jim Bernard gives me a call after I pay him all this money. He says, Tony, he used to talk pretty funny. I thought it was funny. <laughs> Tony, this is Jim Burnett, you know, with the American accent. Could you give $3,000 to Ric Flair and J.J. Dillon for spending money in Canada, and we'll send your money by check. You'll send your money back by check. Yeah, I says, no problem. I'll stand here, Rick, and give him 3000 bucks. So... NWA was responsible to pay the referees eh? from from the states to here. So I get the checks from the referee, but not my $3,000 because Cabo Bill Watts told me, watch out, they might stiff you. When I heard this, I canceled my check that I send them for $8,000 for plane fares. Right. I said, I'll come in and I'll sign for it when I get to Winnipeg. So, well, why are you, why, why you you're, you're, you're stopping this payment on this check? 
wrong figure. But anyway, when to sign it. In those days, you know, before that check from the States come back to Winnipeg here, okay, whatever, it used to take two weeks maybe. Today it's done overnight, yeah. right? But anyway, when I got those checks from the referees and I phoned Mr. Burnett and I said, Mr. Burnett, he says, I got the checks from the referees that you sent me. Where's my $3,000? That you promised you're going to send me with the referee checks. Well, Tony, my secretary must forgot about it or she made whatever. We'll send it to you. It's in the mail. Yeah, in mail, all right. But anyway, I said to myself, wait until you find out that stop payment, that check, $8,000. You're going to phone me again. <laughs> So when he got this check, phones me back, Burnett, Tony says, it's an embarrassment with the office. Your check came back NSF. I said, for what? As for the plan fares, Tony Condello. I said, Mr. Burnett, if you check a little bit closer, it says, it's not NSF. He states, stop payment. Where's my card down $3,000? I'll tell you what we'll do. Send me an invoice for $5,000, less 3000 that I give J.J. Dillon and uh, Ric Flair, and we're even. It's simple. What they do now? They hire themselves a fucking lawyer in the city. Wow. That's true. They hire themselves a lawyer. I go see this lawyer. I say, well, what the fuck is the problem here? Well, you owe this gentleman, you own the NWA by $8,000. You're right. I'm not, I'm not denying it. That's the deal. But they owe me fucking $3,000. What about if I give you 5000 Give me a receipt completely and we're even. It's so simple, the story. You know what? Got my fucking lawyer involved now. I said, send a letter to Jim Crocker promotion that he's going to get sued for $250,000 for a lawsuit running his tip for a year and a fucking half. <laughs> Never heard no more. <laughs> So anyway, I lost three times, but I gained five. So where are we? There you go. There you go. <laughs> plus Lance Storm's 500. Yeah, right. Plus, Lance Storm's plus, 500, plus yeah. interest. But then again, I owe you 200 from double billing uh, the gas. So Yeah, the check's in the mail. Out. I understand. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Tony. Hey. <laughs>